And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, June 14th, 2022, a full 27 months after we first encountered this horrible pandemic um, called COVID-19. And I have my good friends, Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmer's Memorial Hospital, and Dr. Michelle Mazir, the medical st- staff president at the hospital. On the line, how are you ladies? Great. How are you today? And I'm looking outside and it's beautiful sunshine, so it's a wonderful day to talk to you. It's uh, beautiful right now. It's going to be up to 100 degrees approximately and temperature humidity index well beyond that. So uh, hopefully you won't have a bunch of patients over there uh, that have heat stroke today. Yeah, I was going to say we probably need a little public service announcement for our um, fragile community members to stay indoors and make sure they're drinking water and have their air conditioning on. How many, what, what's the conventional wisdom on number of glasses of water a, an average adult should have now in a day? I, I think you can find whatever answer you want if you looked it up. I always go by if you, you're drinking enough water, if when you go to the bathroom, it doesn't look real concentrated. <laughs> so you, you don't really get the um, results for a while to figure out whether you drink enough water or not. But if you do right. it if you do it on a regular basis, you should be able to figure that out, right? Exactly. And and drink uh, much more today if you're going to be outside than on a normal day, I guess. I guess that's common sense. So, ladies, could you give us an update on your uh, COVID inpatient census and what we've seen locally in the last month or so since we spoke last? Absolutely. I'm always happy to do this update. And I think since we spoke on May 3rd, You know, it's been basically pretty steady in terms of the number of patients. So on May 3rd, there were 12 inpatients. One was on a vent and two were awaiting results. As of today, there are nine inpatients, none on a vent, and four awaiting results. We had had um, 292 deaths back then. So since then, we have 296 deaths. So there's been four additional deaths since May 3rd. Um, Of the ones that have COVID right now, uh, three were not vaccinated and six were vaccinated. Of that, three of the six were also boosted. DuPage County, when we spoke last, had 218,000 positive COVID cases, and now they have 237,000 positive COVID cases. DuPage County deaths went from 1,798 to 1,816. The state went from 3.15 million positive cases to 3.37 million, and state deaths went from 37,906 to 38,320. And for the good news, our discharges with COVID went from 2,964 to 3,091, and the recovery rate remains at 97%. So with a... With a percentage of the population that's fully vaccinated now is are the effects of COVID starting to be more similar to the effects of flu in in terms of numbers and seriousness or is it still way more serious? 
I think that what we're seeing now, the, the majority of the COVID cases that we're seeing now, we're really seeing them on the ambulatory side. You see those hospitalization numbers have come down drastically from our um, winter spike. And so what we're seeing are a lot of people with cold symptoms or people with sore throats or people that think they have allergies. And it's really just the milder, um, milder COVID cases. And there's a possibility that there's a lot more patients with COVID who are not bothering to get tested because they think they have allergies. It, it, it seems like then it's things have been pretty flat locally here for the last few months. Do you know of any spikes in other parts of the country that might concern you? And do you think if so, or could that lead to uh, another spike in our uh, general area? I don't think right now that there are any spikes that we're worried about. I agree with Pam completely. I think two things. I think people either are having such mild symptoms that they are not coming in to be tested or they're doing home tests, which are not really reported. Um, so, again, I think right now we're, we're still seeing it. It's, it's still um, very prevalent. It's just much milder. And that, you know, that's important because those milder cases are not ending up in our, you know, in our ICU, in our hospitals. So I've read that both uh, Pfizer and Moderna are uh, working to get approval for uh, vaccines for children very, very young. In Pfizer's case, less than five years old and in Moderna's less than six years old. And, you know, who knows whether that'll actually happen or not. But do you think there's going to be a large percentage of parents that choose to get those very young parent uh, children vaccinated? And and what are you seeing in the in the older children, like the five or six to twelve year olds? Are a lot of them getting vaccinated, or is it a very small percentage? You know, Rich, for the five to twelve year old population in DuPage County, the vaccine rate is about fifty-five percent, a little over fifty-five percent. And remember, DuPage County has always been a county that has kind of led um, the charge with vaccine rates. So our rates have always been higher than the other rates in the state. Um, so for that age group, it's five to twelve. Uh, for that five to twelve age group, it's fifty-five percent. I think we'll probably see similar in that younger age group, so that six-month to four-year-old age group. And we actually expect a decision on that this week. And we are prepared as an organization to be able to roll out the vaccines to that age group uh, when we get that approval. I think that 55% number is higher than certainly I expected. I don't know what most people think, but I'm pleasantly surprised by that. Um, I know that a certain percentage of the population was approved uh, for a second to get a second booster, at least of Pfizer and Moderna, not that long ago. And, you know, I got my second booster because I'm over 50 and that's what qualifies or did at the time. Is there a, a, another group that's eligible for that now, other than the over 50 and the people with comorbidities? No, so that has not changed. So 12 and up, if you are immunocompromised, you can get that second booster. And then 50 and older, um, that's still the criteria for the booster. And we, our infection control team really keeps a close eye on what the pharmaceutical companies are doing as far as boosters and things like that. And I anticipate we're probably going to start hearing some stuff uh, with anticipated rollouts in the fall um, for uh, new boosters. Like, uh, in, for lack of a better term, like a third booster? Potentially. And we, we also know that at least right now, Moderna is working on a 
newer vaccine that would incorporate the Omicron variant into it. So, so what we would call a multi, multi-variant vaccine uh, to give more protection to people. So we know that there's a lot of stuff in the works. We just don't have any um, dates or approvals or anything like that yet. We hear less and less about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Is that still approved uh, for use in, in all individuals or certain individuals? And are there boosters out there for Johnson & Johnson? You know, the CDC um, recommends the Pfizer or the Moderna over the Johnson & Johnson just because some of the adverse um, adverse effects that they have seen with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So we are actually not offering it anymore. We're really encouraging patients to get Pfizer or Moderna. They do still allow it um, for anybody who's had a significant allergic reaction to Pfizer or Moderna, or if there is, uh, you know, no Pfizer or Moderna available and Johnson & Johnson is available, although I can't imagine that really being the case anywhere. And then if, if somebody is refusing the Pfizer or Moderna, the CDC says that they can still receive um, Johnson & Johnson, but recommend the other two over it. So in my little circle of friends and acquaintances, I know of three people in the last six weeks who have tested positive for COVID, and all three people took a test because they had a sore throat for a couple of days, no other symptoms. So my question is, is, is that the typical a symptom with some of these more recent variants and, and all, all three of these people, by the way, were vaccinated. Um, so it may be related to the vaccine. I don't know, but is that a typical symptom now, a sore throat and nothing else? Or, or did I just happen to run into the three people who only had sore throats? No, I think you're, you're spot on. I can tell you clinically what we're seeing. The symptoms are way less significant than they had been in most people. Um, and sore throat is a big one. And in adults, we are seeing a lot of headaches. So a lot of combination headaches, sore throat, and some some mild runny nose symptoms that people are saying, oh, no, no, it's just my allergies. I uh, I hope that when the patients go in to see their doctor and they say they have a headache, they ask if maybe they just had a child come home from college or something like that for the summer. And the headache's for a different reason. Absolutely. <laughs> Not for COVID. <laughs> um so we, we've heard a lot over the last year or so that maybe eventually there'll be one vaccine that includes your, your flu vaccine, or one shot, I should say, I don't want to call it one vaccine, one shot where you get your flu vaccine and a COVID booster at the same time. Have you heard any more about that? Is that likely to happen maybe this fall? We don't have any more details on that. I wish we did. It's, it's the question that everybody's asking is what, what is the fall going to look like? What is our annual, co is there going to be an annual COVID test? Can it be com combined with flu? So our people are keeping a close eye on that. And as soon as we know, we'll make sure that our um, community is aware. And we don't want two shots. We only want one. Yeah. So we're hoping it can be combined together. Right. But um, we have uh, some nurses from uh, Elmhurst Memorial Hospital come give our employees flu shots every year. And I'll tell you what, they do a wonderful job. It's a no pain shot for the most part. And uh, it, it's really not that bad. I know some people are afraid of needles, but it's not all as bad as it sounds. Um, the, the buzz virus now is monkeypox. We've heard a lot about that. Can you tell us a little bit about how that spreads and do we need to worry about it, most people? So we have had a positive case in DuPage County. We don't anticipate that this is going to be, you know, the next pandemic like anywhere near what 
what COVID was, but I think it definitely needs to be on everybody's radar. Um, the spread, it doesn't spread as easily as COVID does. It's either skin-to-skin -skin contact with um, the characteristic sores or the scabs or body fluids of an infected person or really prolonged exposure to respiratory secretions is how it spreads. So it takes much more um, direct contact to spread the monkeypox virus. And then the symptoms kind of start out, uh, unfortunately, like most viruses. So you get a few days of fever, chills, your headache, your body aches. You might get some swole, swollen lymph nodes. And then after a few days of that, it's followed by this characteristic rash. So the rash starts out as kind of a flat rash that then becomes what I can best describe as a blister that looks like it's filled with pus. So, you know, you're not your regular blister from wearing your shoes too tight. It, it really looks like kind of like a darker yellow or a darker white because it looks like it's filled with pus. And then those blisters crust over time and then they fall off. So the, the rash usually starts within like one to three days of those other symptoms like the fever, chills, body aches, but the rash can take a good two to four weeks to resolve um, completely. Any, any treatments for it or is it mostly just comfort stuff like anti-inflammatories and skin cream or something? Yeah, no, there is treatment. So if one of these cases presents to one of our sites, we have very close relationship with our infection control team, who then is very um, close contact with the Department of Public Health to coordinate the testing. And then they can get us access to the smallpox vaccine that can be administered. Um, and then there is an experimental antiviral drug as well. And likelihood of death from this if you get good medical care? You know, that's a great question that I don't know the exact answer to, but um, I am, my best guess is that if you get good medical care and it gets recognized quickly, the, the likelihood of death is, is going to be on the lower end. So from a, a planning standpoint for the future, we've learned a, a whole lot about dealing with a pandemic. In fact, it's almost become old hat, at least this particular pandemic. So I wonder if the existence of this pandemic, having been through it, is going to help a hospital like Elmer's Memorial Hospital plan for a potential future pandemic. Has it changed the way you operate? And will you be better prepared? Will hospitals in general be better prepared for a future pandemic? You know, speaking for our organization, I think that this gave us the opportunity to really come together as a system um, with Edward and Elmhurst and Lyndon Oaks um, prior to the merger with North Shore. And I think it was really a great opportunity for us to come together, put all of our brightest minds in one room and learn from each other and tackle this together. So I think this organization has been forever changed by it. I can't imagine that there are organizations that have not. But I think um, for us, it has changed us for the better and has definitely prepared us to better um, handle, you know, emergent situations like this in the future. I, I would hope most businesses in general, even non-medical, have done that. I know, uh, you know, most of the businesses that I deal with and that I business I work for, um, we've changed our pandemic policy like crazy and the people that I know have done the same thing and you, you really don't know what it's like till you live through it do you no and I think 
other thing it taught us is that we are capable of being more flexible than we ever knew and that we are really a resilient population because we, we really bounced back from this um, pretty well. I, it kind of shocked me when you said 27 months we've been doing this. I, I really thought we were wearing masks for two weeks and then we were going back to normal <laughs> and here we are 27, 27 months later. So we've learned a lot of great lessons, I think. And, and just one other editorial comment I want to make. A lot of the folks who were planning for pandemics always planned in their organization that they'd have a certain number of folks who um, were sick and, and couldn't come to work. And what they didn't consider, at least probably not mostly non-medical businesses, is they didn't plan for people who were perfectly healthy, or at least seemed perfectly healthy, but had been exposed and have to stay away from everybody else. That was the one piece a lot of businesses really missed in their pandemic planning, that it's not how many people are sick, it's how many people are sick plus may get sick because they've been exposed and have to quarantine or isolate or, or whatever the word is. So that that's just my editorial, and I, I would assume probably the medical community figured that out long before the rest of us did. Um, so We might have figured it out, but there's no answer to it. Right, right. <laughs> So we've talked a lot over the last 27 months now um, about staffing issues uh, in the medical community, nurses, um, doctors, uh, support people. Um, so my, my question is right now, are most of the staffing shortages that you may, may or may not still have on the medical side or a lot of them on the support side too, the non-medical professionals that help make the hospital work on a day-to-day -day basis? I think staffing shortages are everywhere for everybody. And um, for us, it is the medical is like the one that we can't survive without, but we can't survive without housekeeping and food service and laundry because all those things are necessary to take care of our patients as well as the administrative assistance and, um, and IT, trying to keep everything going, security. So it is a big issue. We, um, as an organization, have made this one of our number one goals of the merger is to become a workplace of choice, that people will come to us versus any other organization because of how we treat our employees um, and, and the work environment that they are in. We spent a lot of time, money, personnel to make sure we take care of the mental health and wellness of our employees and our physicians because we know that that's going to be a key to them being able to be here. We continue to have staffing issues just because of uh, people being exposed to COVID and or symptomatic with COVID. I think there's a lot of ambulatory COVID and, and our people have to get tested. So they know and they have to stay away. Um, but there's even, you know, any kind of disease, they have to take care of themselves and not come into work because we can't risk transmitting to patients anything that they may have. I think for us, one of the, the highlights or the good things that we're seeing is some employees who left either because they thought maybe it was better somewhere else or they left because they went to agency and took, um, you know, and got some big dollars to help them pay off bills are coming back. And they're coming back, you know, they've been gone maybe a year, two years, or they were afraid during COVID. They're now all coming back, and which is really, really nice. It's a compliment to the organization. It's a compliment to the people they work with. Um, 
and and some of them were reaching out to and they thought they wouldn't be welcome back and then when they find out they are they're very excited and they, they can't wait to come back so we know that staffing is going to be an issue going forward we know that we are paying a lot more for staff as are all other organizations and um, we're not getting paid any more for the care that we have uh, you know in fact we get paid less for care because of the fact that many of our surgical where we got paid um, more money is outpatient now and so you get you do almost everything you did before when it was inpatient but you get half the reimbursement so we're trying to balance uh, the, the all the cost of supplies going up all the cost of staffing and um, and then our revenue continuing to be what it was or less than what we had in the past uh, but we're a strong organization we have great staff we have great quality people want to be treated here because they know they're going to get excellent care so I know we'll make it through this tough time as will all other businesses that have that kind of uh, loyal staff and excellent outcomes and so uh, you know it's just what we're gonna to have to go through for the next couple of years addressing your comment about being the place where people want to work earlier this morning I saw on Facebook one of uh, our previous guests here on our podcast Dr. Mark Gomez, who's a physician that works out of uh, your system, out of uh, Edward Hospital, and he has a regular podcast called Health 360 with Dr. G. He just posted that he went in his office and he had a, a nice box congratulating him on 15 years of service with the organization and how good it felt to be recognized by the organization. So kudos to uh, to the health uh, healthcare organization and uh North, what's it called now? North Shore University slash um, EE Health? It's, it's called North Shore Edward Elmhurst Health. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. So anyway, that was just a little testimonial from Dr. G that he posted earlier this morning on, uh, on Facebook. Um, so are there any specific positions that you're really short on? Is it still nurses or are there quite a few others? It's nurses, it's respiratory therapists, it's lab personnel, it is IT personnel. Um, I think security, we're pretty good right now. We just hired quite a few. Um, it is, it is uh, housekeeping, it is food service, and it is um, our receptionists. So um, MAs. So if there's MAs out there that are looking for a great place to work, they need to come our way. Tell me about visitors' policies now. Are they getting closer to back to normal or are they still somewhat restrictive? I think we're almost completely back to normal. Um, they do still have to wear masks. Uh, we have to wear masks because we have to follow the CDC guidelines. And so I think there's a lot of questions always about, um, you know, why are we wearing masks when we're not in a patient care uh, area? And because we are a hospital system, if we're, traveling through the hallways, if we're going into the cafe, unless you're eating, you have to have your mask on. Um, but we do let visitors back in, but we need them to keep their masks on when they're with the patient because we do not want anybody getting sick. And because these symptoms are so mild for most of us, and we may not know we're ill, it's even more important to keep the mask on when you're with the patient because they may not get mild symptoms if they get sick. So we wanna make sure that we don't pass anything on visitors to patients as well as any of the staff. And I remember we were all early in the pandemic and maybe even in the middle of it, all taking temperatures. And 
uh, that's not happening anymore, right? Because so many people have symptoms and don't have a fever. And usually when you have a fever, you know it. You don't feel good. Yeah, no more temperatures because that's not really a good screening process. Now, if they do have a fever, we're asking them to stay home and not come here. But uh, that's not the main symptom anymore. A lot of people have COVID without a temperature, so it's not really something that's a good screening tool. Well, ladies, thank you so much for spending some time with us here today. I appreciate it, and uh, things are looking pretty good right now. I got my fingers crossed that next time we speak, it won't things won't be any worse. At least they'll either be flat or a little bit better. You you with me on that? Yeah, with you. Hopefully, it's better, and we are off with the masks all together. That would be a wonderful time. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, Fred. Thank you. The E Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at. The Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.